Isaiah chapter 37, and we'll be starting at verse 9. Now, Sennacherib received a report that Tirhaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvaim, Hina, and Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord, and you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its junipers. I have reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams. Of have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it, and now I've brought it to pass, that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are, and when you come and go, and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year, you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year, what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, 
and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for, the, for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Shereser killed him with the sword. And they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. This is God's word. Our great God and Father, thank you that as we come to look at your word, here is the word of one who is utterly trustworthy, who has never broken a promise, who has demonstrated his faithfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know we can trust you, Father, as we turn to your word, help us to trust you. Deepen our faith in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last time, that is the question over these chapters, Isaiah 36 to 39. What will you trust? Whom will you trust? There's a sense in which that's the the headline over much of the book of Isaiah. For 35 chapters, there's been a warning, and now it comes chapters 36 to 39, the real hinge of the book of Isaiah. You're about, you're being invaded Who will you trust? And I don't know how you answer that question. My finances, my education, what do you trust? So here we are, if you weren't here last time, um, here we are in about 701 BC, and um, Assyria is the global superpower and the regional superpower of the day, and it's expanded, 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 and is about to invade, or has invaded, the tiny... Uh, um, country of Judah. So we may have a little map uh, of, of the, uh, the region, sort of uh, Syria, uh, uh, Iraq today. And um, you can see the sort of whatever it is, the purple in the middle is where Assyria was, and then its empire has grown into the green. Uh, and now it's about to take out the tiny brown blob uh, in the southwest corner, Judah. And if you were here last time, we said you can go to the British Museum and read the king, Sennacherib, his account of what took place. And 46 cities he devastated, and hundreds of thousands of uh, the people of Judah he'd taken away into, uh, into uh, slavery, he'd repatriated them elsewhere. And uh, Jerusalem's the only city left, and now Jerusalem is surrounded by this vast army of uh, the mighty Assyrians. And if you were here last time, the, uh, the king, uh, Sennacherib, he just mocked. 
He mocked the city of Jerusalem and he mocked their king, Hezekiah. And he said, so what are you trusting in? That was the question that the king of Assyria asked. You might want to turn back. It's the question really over the whole section, chapter 36 and verse 4. His spokesman, the field commander. So the invading Assyrian king says, tell Hezekiah, king of God's people in Judah, chapter 36, verse 4, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? Where is your trust? Whom do you trust? And that phrase keeps coming up uh, throughout these chapters. Now, if you were here last time, uh, despite all this mockery, uh, Hezekiah uh, pleaded, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? The Lord sent a diversion, and uh, Sennacherib and all his army, they, they went away for a little bit. So we saw that uh, at the end, chapter 37, uh, verse 7, just before our reading today. Look, uh, the king, Sennacherib of Assyria, so he's the bad guy. Hezekiah, he's our good guy this month. Uh, Chapter 37 and verse 37, listen. Red Sennacherib, here's a certain report. I'll make him want to return to his country, and there I'll have him cut down with the sword. So there's a pause. But, um, and so verse 9, Sennacherib received a report that the king of Cush was marching out to fight against him. So the siege is broken momentarily. So Jerusalem is surrounded, but here is relief as the army goes away to fight elsewhere. But in true Terminator fashion, Sennacherib says, verse 9, I'll be back. I will be back, is what he tells Hezekiah. And he, gets a, he sends him a bit of a stinker of a letter. In chapter 37, verses 10 to 13, I've had some pretty aggressive letters uh, over the years, but this is a pretty fun, punchy one. Chapter 37, verse 10, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, don't let the God you depend on, you trust, don't let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them com completely, and will you be delivered? He gives him this long list. Hezekiah, all the other royal families of Europe that you've been and dined with, remember you had them, you went on a state visit to them, and, and they came and visited you, and you, do you remember so-and-so and his wife and how well you got on? Well, verse 13, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the kings of Leir, Seraphim, Heno, and Ever? They're all dead, Hezekiah. And you're next. Well, that's a fairly aggressive letter to receive. And uh, you'd be fairly intimidated if you were Hezekiah. Every other city in your country has been devastated and overrun. The, Jerusalem's the, the capital's the only one left. You've got a tiddly-piddly army, and you're surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of the most advanced and well-armed army the world has ever seen at this time. And the king says, you're next. Well, that is a bit intimidating. And at that point, again, the question comes, Hezekiah, who would you trust? You have a word from God saying you'll be safe. That's all you've got, just a word. Or will you trust your eyes? And will you trust numbers? And what you see in front of you, this vast army. Hezekiah, what will you trust? Whom will you trust? Well, chapter 37, what we're looking at today, it shows you he does continue to trust the Lord. And what does that trust look like? 
Well, it looks like praying here. It's not the only thing that trust looks like. But you can believe all the right things, but in practice, it certainly looks like praying. So we'll work through it in uh, these three ways. Hezekiah, he trusted the Lord in prayer. Then we'll see the Lord responds. And by contrast, Sennacherib only trusted himself. There's a broad brush contrast between these two kings. Hezekiah, good king, he trusted the Lord. So God responds. But Sennacherib only trusted himself. Let's work through it. First then, verses 14 to 20, Hezekiah, he trusted the Lord in prayer. Chapter 37, verse 14. Hezekiah, he received the letter from the messengers and he read it and thought to himself, oh dear, no doubt. But then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Now, I think that's fairly interesting is his first response. The first thing Hezekiah does is pray. It's not to go and summon his military commanders, nor to ask the chancellor how much have we got left in the budget. But he goes to the temple, the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament, and he prayed. That's plan A for him. I have to say, I thought there's something quite... um, Uh, it's very physical, isn't it, or involved. He gets this letter, and um, he spreads it out before the Lord. It's a very physical. Look, I, 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 I hand it over to you, Lord. I'm on my knees. I plonk it down and say, Lord, you, not me. I can't deal with this. I, mean, I find that quite appealing, actually. The, uh, we have had one or two fairly forceful responses from... Um, characters against the sort of plans to sort of put a new floor in the building. I mean, sort of comically uh, aggressive letters against in one sense. And uh, so I found myself on Friday spreading them out on the floor of my office and uh, pray. It's quite cathartic, actually. Um, it's a Lord, yeah, you, you, you got to do this. I trust you. A real sense of handing it over to the Lord. But um, just this prayer, just briefly let me comment on who Hezekiah prays to and what he prayed. Okay, just those two things. Who does he pray to? Look how he describes the Lord, verse 16. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Well, a couple of things there. First, he's Lord Almighty. He's literally Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. You alone, no one else, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. And that just struck me. That's a very striking term, you alone. There aren't many things you can describe in that sense. You alone. No other arena can you say that of someone's strength. You might say it of someone you love. You alone are my beloved daughter. You alone. But you have someone's strength. What could you do that of? A bit boring in sport. You might say, I don't know. Uh, Roger Federer. He's the king of Wimbledon. Well, yes, he has been for a number of years. More successful than most, but not this year. Even the great Roger Falls every now and again. Rafa Nadal, he's the king of clay, yeah? Done very well for for a good period of time, but 
you know, the ravages of time, the knees start to go on all of us, and uh, he can't do it forever. You alone, well, maybe for a short period of time, but you alone are always the champion? No, can't say that. In the political world or even in geopolitics, I guess there's been a window of world history. You'd say the USA alone is the global superpower. 1989 onwards, you'd say that. Now, a rise of China, a few sort of misadventures overseas. Can you still say that? Well, probably just about. But history would say not for that much longer because every empire rises and falls. They all last about 150 years historically and then someone else takes over. You alone, or maybe for a short while. But to say here, you alone are God over all the heavens and all the kingdoms of the earth forever and always, well, that's extraordinary. You alone. And the reason is you'll never cease to be because you made them. They're yours. You have made heaven and earth. You alone. So Hezekiah prays to his God and says, you alone, none like you. But the other half of it is this is a personal God he prays to. So he calls him the Lord, capitals. Not so much a title, but as a name, Yahweh, the, the, the personal name that God gave to Israel. This is what you're to call me. Alfred, not Alfred. Yahweh. Call me Yahweh. That's my name that you're to know me by. No one else knows that, but I'm giving it to you because I have a relationship with you. The wonderful thing is Hezekiah, he prays to a God, you alone, completely all-powerful, and personal, and you do want both. Imagine there you are back in Jerusalem in 701 BC, and you're, there's a scared child saying, look, Daddy, Daddy, look, the, the Assyrians are outside the walls, and, and we know that they kill everyone, and, and they're going to come in and kill us. And the dad says to his son, son, I love you, and I will keep you safe from the Assyrians. And the child is shrewd enough to say, Daddy, I, I'm grateful that you love me, but you can't. You're not powerful enough. That's a promise you can't keep. So it's nice to know you're loved, but if there's no power to accompany it, or perhaps you're the same child, and for some reason you get brought in front of the king of Assyria, who says, I am the all-powerful king of Assyria. And you say, yes, I know, you're very powerful. And he says, I'm going to chop your head off now. And you go, oh, I wish you liked me. See, someone who loves you, that's great. Someone who's all-powerful is very impressive, but you really want both on your side. You want personal and powerful for you. And Hezekiah says, that's who you are, Lord. That's who he's praying to. You on the personal and the all-powerful you alone. No, we're not in the same position as Hezekiah. If you're a Christian here today, it's much better. Christians living this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they know, we know. We pray to a God who is alone in power and also deeply personal. He says, call me Father. And I am the creator of all. And we say, yeah. You are all-powerful, and you are for us. That's a wonderful combination, and we pray to you. That's, sorry, that's just who Hezekiah prays to. But, but briefly then also, look what he prayed, the sort of guts of his prayer, verse 17. So here's what he prays. Uh, Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. 
Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Now, in one sense, that's sort of that's poor doctrine, but great faith. Uh, he says, I mean, "Would you ever pray this, Lord? Will you will you sort of wake up? Will you sort of open your eyes because you seem to be slumbering? Will you sort of get the wax out of your ears so you can hear what I'm saying to you?" I mean, he he is the Lord. I mean. Hezekiah just said, you, you're the, you alone are God. You, you see everything. You know everything. You hear everything. And yet Hezekiah sort of implores him, will you wake up, please? Oi, oi, listen, help. It's sort of very poor doctrine for the God who is omniscient. But it's good faith. He says, I need you. I'm desperate. I need you. It's essentially what he's saying there. And the appeal of it is, look, I don't like it, Lord, verse 17, that you're ridiculed. This king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he's ridiculing you. And he is, you see it later on, verse 22, he mocks, verse 23, he ridicules. I don't like that. Verse 18, oh, look, it's true, Lord, the Assyrian kings, they have laid waste to all these other peoples and their lands, thrown their gods into the fire, destroyed them. But, but the difference is, you're real. They weren't. We trust in a God who is true. They didn't. And so verse 20, Lord, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone Excuse me, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Save us so that they know that you're real. They know it's you alone. So here is Hezekiah. He's surrounded by this superpower that's mocking him and says, No, I, I trust you, Lord. I don't think it's too fanciful to be reminded by, about the Lord Jesus, surrounded in his trial and mocked, particularly you get to Matthew's account in Matthew 27, four times, four references, we're told that Jesus is ridiculed or mocked. He's mocked by the soldiers. He's mocked by the rebels either side of him. He's mocked by the chief priests, and he's mocked by those who are crucified with him. Four times we're told that Jesus is mocked by those around him, just similar to this, and I guess for you and me, our prayer is, Lord, we don't want your name to be mocked. Jesus, we don't want your name to be mocked. Will you let the people around us know that you're real? That you alone have conquered death? There's Hezekiah. He trusted the Lord in prayer. Prayed to a God deeply personal, all-powerful, he says, I want your name to be honored, not mocked. But he trusted the Lord in prayer. Wonderfully, the Lord responds. Just look at verse 21. Obviously, the, the response, God's response really is verse 21 all the way to the end of the chapter. But let's just look at it this way. The Lord responds, verse 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you've prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is what's going to happen. Now, verse 21 is a wonderful encouragement. God says, because you've prayed to me, this will happen. 
God says, because you've prayed to me, Sennacherib will be destroyed and you'll be saved because you've prayed to me. I mean, just there, isn't it, verse 21? But you do see the obvious implication. Had Hezekiah not prayed, God wouldn't have acted. Had Hezekiah not prayed, Jerusalem would have been captured. Had Hezekiah not prayed, this mockery of God would have gone unanswered. But he did pray. Because you've prayed, I will respond. Now you have to hold that together as a, as a, as a Bible reader. You have to hold that together, that the Lord acts because Hezekiah prayed, along with verse 26, for example, God says, oh, long ago I ordained it, in days of old I planned it, that all this would happen and that Sennacherib would be destroyed. Yeah, of course you've got to hold that together. The Lord had planned all these things long ago. 30 years earlier, you can read it in, in the book of Isaiah, 30 years earlier, uh, Isaiah told Hezekiah's dad, oh, by the way, Sennacherib will invite, Syria will invade and they'll, get, they'll destroy Judah up to the neck, up to the capital city, but then they'll be destroyed. It's all been predicted. The Lord is supreme and sovereign over all of his history, and yet, Hezekiah, this is only going to happen. You're only going to be delivered. You're only going to be saved because you have prayed. That's how God works. The Lord acts in response to the prayers of his people. Now, you have to hold those two together, but for myself, I think I'm more likely to lean towards, well, God has ordained it, God has planned history, therefore I'll just crack on and I, and I won't pray about it, rather than leaning towards, if I don't pray, God won't act. The Bible says you've got to have both. But it's, I don't know, perhaps it's easier in the 21st century in the Western world just to think as a Christian, oh, wow, God's got him. God's got it under control. Rather than unless we pray, it will not happen. So for us, is it fanciful to think that one day we might even hear from the Lord Jesus that person became a Christian because you prayed. The church in London, the church in the UK, new revival in the early 21st century, because you prayed. Christ Church Mayfair, new great blessing, because you prayed. Oh, you would never have got a building project through the planning authorities, but you did because you prayed. And what I'd certainly never want to hear from the lips of Jesus is, you would have seen more people become Christians, you would have seen the church flourish, but you didn't pray. That would be miserable. So without laboring or misusing, it's always a desire of any church that the prayer meeting is well attended because it's a very tangible display that we believe this is true. It's a demonstration before the Lord, yeah, we know we have to pray. And then unless we pray, you don't build the house. And unless you pray, why would we expect to see you at work? 
but we do because we pray to you. Why not? At the end of the service, get out your diary and just say, no, look, the first Wednesday night in each month, I must pray. Hezekiah trusted the Lord in prayer. The Lord responds because you've prayed. Uh, By contrast, Sennacherib only trusted himself. The Lord is speaking, but um, uh, he gives Sennacherib's voice, as it were. So verse 22, this is the word the Lord has spoken against Sennacherib. Here's what's going to happen. Well, verse 23, you've, or verse 22, you've, excuse me, verse 23, you have ridiculed and blasphemed against me. Verse 24, you've ridiculed the Lord. So here's what's going to happen to you, Sennacherib. Chapter 37, verse 22. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. You've been mocking my people, Sennacherib. You've been mocking me. Here's what's going to happen. Everyone's going to laugh at you. You're going to be the laughing stock of the whole region. What happened to Sennacherib? He was so impressive, wasn't he? He had this great empire. He was so full of himself. Yeah, he had to run with the towel between his legs. (laughs) That's what's going to happen to you. Because of your pride, you were so proud. Verse 23, Sennacherib, who is it that you ridiculed and blasphemed? Against who have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? It's against the Holy One of Israel. You silly man. Verse 24, by your messengers, you ridiculed the Lord. You've said, with my many chariots, and look, it's the first person, isn't it, all the time? I have ascended the heights of the mountains. I have cut down the tallest cedars. I have reached the remotest heights. Verse 25, I have dug wells in foreign lands. That's what you say, Sennacherib. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have achieved. Verse 25, I have dried up the streams of Egypt. Oh, come on, Sennacherib. That's my thing, says the Lord. I parted the Nile so that people could pass through. When did you ever do that? It's very human, isn't it? Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Here's one of my favorites. Can, do you know who this is speaking? We might have it on the screen. I I'm not sure if I go it in time. Um, here we go. Who's this? Some will know. One or two will know. I am the power that lifts the world's head proudly skywards, surpassing limits and expectations. I am an extraordinary union of engineering and art with every detail carefully considered and beautifully crafted. I am the life force of collective aspirations and the aesthetic union of many cultures. I stimulate dreams, I stir emotions, I awaken creativity. I am the magnet that attracts the wide-eyed tourist, the center for the world's finest shopping and home for the world's elite. I am the heart of the city and its people, more than a moment in time. I define moments for future generations. I am Donald Trump, not Donald Trump. No. <laughs> Who said that? Not that. I think what... Uh, Burj Khalifa, you know, the tower at the heart of Dubai. That's what it says at the bottom. I do all these things. Mm. Now, you're just quite a big tower in the middle of the desert. Is, uh, is actually an extraordinary statement of arrogance. Look at us. Look at us. 
extraordinary. But things, what about you? What about me? How do you answer the question, I am safe because... What fills that gap? Oh, it's a challenging question. Of course, we say, many of us here, oh, I'm safe because I'm a Christian. I'm safe because of the Lord. Well, chapter 37 will say, that'll be obvious if you pray. That's a tangible demonstration that that statement is true. In God I trust. If you pray. You see the contrast, Sennacherib said, I have achieved, I have done all this. And Hezekiah said, I trust the Lord, help. Very different. That's how you know where your trust is. Well, arrogant Sennacherib, let me explain the future to you. So verse 26 to the end, here's the, God's prediction of the future. Verse 26, have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I've brought it to pass that you've turned fortified cities into piles of stones. Yeah, look, do you, not, you, know, you know this. Chapter 8 of Isaiah, I said this would happen. Sennacherib, the only reason you've known any success is me. But, verse 28, but Sennacherib, the Lord says, I know where you are. I know when you come and go. I know how you rage against me. I know everything. Verse 29, you think you're so impressive. Here's what's going to happen. I'll put my hook in your nose, my bit in your mouth. I'll make you return by the way you came. You think you are the all-powerful conqueror. I will break you like a horse. You will turn into Dobbin the Shire horse and just plod your way back home where you've come. And when you've gone back home, your sons will kill you. That's what will happen to you, Sennacherib. Oh. The thing is, in chapter 37, Sennacherib can say what he wants about the Lord, but the only thing that matters is what the Lord says about him. That's always the case. Uh, earlier in the year, I spoke at a Christian union at a, at a university, and I was sort of mildly amused, encouraged to see that some graffiti never changes. I remember this graffiti from when I was a university student. So on one of the, the, the walls of the loo, uh, someone had written, God is dead, Nietzsche, 1882. And underneath it, nope, Nietzsche is dead, God, 1900. And I think, I'm sure I remember that graffiti when, you know, 25 odd years ago when I was a student, uh, sort of vintage bit of... But there's something sort of naff and, and trivial, but it's true. God has the last word. It's his verdict that matters. And so there we are back in 701 BC in verse 36. Here's what happened. The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and he withdrew and he went humiliated back to Nineveh. Oh. Wow. And then verse 38, one day, Sennacherib went to his temple and his sons killed him there with the sword. Oh. 
Oh, you made all these grand claims, Sennacherib. You were only ever a human, weren't you? So one of the things that's going on in this chapter is these broad brushstroke contrasts drawn between Hezekiah, the king of Judah who trusts the Lord, and Sennacherib, who just trusts himself. So Hezekiah honors the name of the Lord, Sennacherib mocks the name of the Lord. Both of them go to their temples. Hezekiah goes and prays, Sennacherib goes and dies. Both are surrounded by danger. Hezekiah trusts the Lord, Sennacherib trusts himself. So in the end, Sennacherib says, I trust myself. And himself was all he had. And he died. And Hezekiah says, I I just trust the Lord. And that was all he needed. Whom do you trust? I'm safe because trust the Lord. And chapter 37 would say, demonstrate that trust in prayer. Pray to him. Pray to him as father, personal father, and pray to him as you alone. There is no rival to you. You have every reason for greater confidence than Hezekiah. Because we've seen demonstrated this trustworthiness in the Lord Jesus Christ, mocked by soldiers, mocked by chief priests, mocked by those crucified by him. And they went to bed and on the morning they woke and they didn't see thousands of Assyrians dead. But they did see an angel at an empty tomb. So here is the one we turn to when we have doubts. And here is the one we turn to, to know that God loves us personally. He sent his son for us. Here's the one we turn to and say, Lord Jesus, you alone have conquered death and risen from the grave. So you can trust him. And we share that trust when we pray. Let's pray together.